Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 218. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the award-winning and internationally acclaimed children's book author, Josh Funk. Well, thank you, Barney. This is an honor to be a part of episode 218. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I that's a great introduction. I'm not, I'm not sure... I'm internationally, I think of myself as more like intergalactically acclaimed. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to change that then. I'm going to make sure I say intergalactically. Well, we don't, we don't know that they haven't been read in other galaxies. It's, it's true. For some of the parents that might not be familiar with your books or some of the people that might not have children at home, give us a little bit of background on how you got into writing children's books. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a software engineer. That's my day job. I write code during the day and on the evenings and weekends and coffee breaks and lunch breaks and bathroom breaks. That's when I write picture books. And I didn't start writing until I was about 32 years old. I have kids. They're about your kids age. My kids are about three and six years old when I started writing. Uh, and I I was reading a ton of great books to them that I really loved and some that I didn't love and I thought I could do better, but I, I decided to try. And at first, um, my writing was really, really terrible. I wrote stories that put myself to sleep uh, instead of my kids to sleep, but I kept practicing and I, I wrote a few stories and my wife actually found in the local uh, the local adult education flyer that you get from the town, uh, the, the adult community center kind of thing. And they mm. had a class about, about writing children's books. And so I signed up for it. My wife suggested I sign up for it. So I'd probably stop bothering her with all my stories that were terrible and bring them <laughs> to someone else. And, and they introduced me to um, SCBWI and all these other different groups that I ended up uh, finding people to connect with to give me feedback on my stories and learn about the both the industry and the craft of writing and several years later i my writing improved i kept practicing and i ended up selling a book and getting an agent and having a couple other books in the process all in the same fall of 2013 and during that period um, I actually, I sold three books and got an agent in about a two month period. Um, some of it was me sending to slush piles. I, uh, my first book that, that sold and also the first that was released, it takes a long time to make picture books. So sometimes the order that you sell them is not the order that they come out in, but, um, lady pancake and sir French toast. I sent it to the Sterling slush pile with via snail mail and along with a dozen other publishers. And also, you know, 30 or 40 agents that I sent emails to, and I got only one response, one, but it only takes one. And they, uh, Sterling wanted to publish it. They're now called Union Square. They changed their name earlier this year, but, uh, but they, they said, we like it. We want to make it a book. Um, and then having that along with, um, a couple other books that had interest, I had, uh, I have a book called Pyrosaurs that, 
uh, had interest from Scholastic and another book called Dear Dragon, which had interest from some smaller publishers. And a friend of mine offered to refer me to her agent. And all of that got me um, connected to the agent that had a couple offers. I signed with an agent. Um, she closed the deal on the the book that had sold and and got me more than 15% more money uh, for what it's worth. The agents are definitely um, worth having, in my opinion. She, uh, as well as other reasons, not just financial, um, but she helped sell Dear Dragon to Penguin, which is a big publisher, and um, finalized things with Scholastic for, for Pyrosaurs. And all of that sort of set me on the path to having uh, my first book, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast, in the fall of 2015, so a little more than seven years ago it came out, and Pyrosaurs and Deer Dragon came out the following fall, and this year, this fall, I have three new books, uh, and they are my 16th, 17th, and 18th, my pet food, and and the the date the date sketch, so it, it they've gotten shifted around a bunch, but um, it. I, the dates that are listed on the screen there are correct, but on November 1st is it's not the three little pigs and November 15th is the great caper caper. And both of those are part of part of larger series. The great caper caper is the fifth lady pancake and sir French toast book. Um, and that will be my 18th book and right. in just over seven years. So, so you did mention that you do have a few series that are going on. As you said, the lady pancake and sir French toast series has five books. Well, we'll have five books coming out um it's not a fairy tale is another is another series that you do you did mention in a previous interview how important it is to kind of diversify your writing a bit what are some of the other benefits of also kind of diversifying your writing style for picture books well i i would say that's great advice i, I wherever you heard me say that i'm, I'm sure i meant it at the time <laughs> Um, I, I probably need to, to take that advice sometimes more often. I feel like a lot of my stuff, almost all of my books tend to be about friendship and they're, they usually have like a bit of a silly angle to them. And frankly, most of them have a little bit of a fantasy angle to them, even if it's not like, um, like high fantasy, like we're in some Lord of the Rings worlds, but there's anthropomorphic foods or there's a boy and a dragon who are pen pals or a little girl is coding with her robot, but the robot, it's not... You know, there's no robots that you can be like, hey, build a sandcastle and it'll just build a sandcastle. So um, they, they do have a lot of that. I, I'll say that having different different avenues and directions that you can publish in is, is always good because you're not competing with yourself. You know, if you have two silly books that come out around the same time, then that's, you know, you, you, your audience, your fans can only spend so much money, um, which is, you know, part of it. But also um, it, it makes it... Um, uh, and and like you said, uh, creatively, it's nice to have different styles that you work with. I do a lot of well, I don't do a lot of school visits, but a lot of authors who who are um, who write for young kids do do a lot of school visits. I have a day job, so mine are a little bit more infrequent. But I actually normally, when you're an author, you might visit a school and come on the English budget or you know the whatever the you know creative writing or something like that, depending on the age. Um, but I also have books about coding, so I can get sent on the STEM budget, the science and technology budget. I, if you're an author illustrator, you can also go on the art budget. 
you know, there's a whole lot of different areas that you can sort of, um, and, and then I actually very recently visited um, the city of Auburn, Alabama, and I visited all of their schools for National School Lunch Week on their child nutrition program budget. Um, they brought me down because I have books about food, which is, you know, another another thing. I mean, it sounds so they weren't suggesting, by the way, that like syrup is an important food group. They were, <laughs> it was more to celebrate the school lunch program, the all of the uh, cafeteria workers and things like that. So it was sort of a big celebration of, of the whole program. Um, and and so having a fun book about food and an author visit with that was right. was cool. Um, but yeah, I think that having I mean, if you. I am not a historian, so I don't feel qualified, at least at this point in my life, to write biographies of people. But a lot of authors will write fiction and nonfiction. Maybe they'll also write chapter books or um, graphic novels or middle grade novels or just, just different different genres in general, different age groups. And I think that that's definitely something. I've actually tried to write some, some chapter books and a little bit of a graphic novel manuscript, just the text. And um, similar to my picture books, the first dozen or so that I wrote were really, really terrible. Um, I'm going to have to write some pretty terrible chapter books and novels before I write a good one. And I, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to try, but um, I, I don't know if that was a question of yours for later, but for right <laughs> now I've practiced really, really hard at writing picture books and, um, right. and I've, I've figured out how to do that. Sometimes I, I still write a lot of terrible ones, but, um, but yeah, I have yet to write a good non-picture book um, but yeah but but you you bring up the, the good point because you've also mentioned too is like you've yeah it's you've written you've written bad ones but i wanted to ask you is like is that objectively bad or subjectively bad are you thinking like i don't want my name on this it doesn't really fit within what my brand is right now or is it that you're looking at it from after after writing, as you said, since 2013. So you've got about, got about 10 years of writing picture books under your belt. When you go back to look at those, um, what makes you decide that they're bad? I, I would say it's a little bit of both. It's it's not that they're bad, but sometimes, right. you know, like this is what I tell kids and it actually, and, and I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't just say it to say it, but I do mean it. You know, when you play basketball, when you play an instrument, like you have to practice a lot. You don't just right. play games. You don't just have concerts. It's the same thing with writing. You know, I might start a first draft and, you know, it turns out that like, yeah, I don't really love this idea or, you know, I'm not really making myself laugh very much. And like, those are, those are my practices. You have to practice and, you know, you don't, you don't always have a game. And every once in a while I read a really good story and that one is like yeah. having a concert or something like that. But, um, but so objectively bet, like, you know, I mean, I, I think sometimes uh, there's there's so many different stages to writing a story. There's idea generation. Is the idea good? And is it worth pursuing? And sometimes you get stuck. You just don't have any ideas that you love. Or maybe you're censoring yourself. I feel like I definitely have censored myself uh, over periods where I say, like, oh, no, that idea is not very good. It's not worth pursuing. When maybe if I had started a first draft, I would have ended up liking it a little bit. And it wasn't necessarily a bad idea. I just needed to give it a try. Um, so sometimes that happens. I'm definitely more picky and choosy about what I write with my time. Now, I don't just write every idea I have because I realize I know more about the market. I know what is potentially going to sell. I also know, you know, but sometimes I, I, I write things and, you know, I, I, I'm having fun writing it and I think it's good as I'm writing it. And then the feedback that you get from your critique partners is like, mm, it's not your best. 
Um, or and, and and that doesn't mean that I can't work on it and make it my best if I'm really passionate about that particular story or I really have a vision for it. But it also might be that there's a flaw with it in some way, like the, the conflict just isn't working or the connection isn't working, whatever, whatever, um, you know, vibe I was going for is not really coming across. And, and so when I say it's bad, it just means that like, it's, it's at, at some point it's a yes or no, like, and it's not a yes or no, will it be published? It's just yes or no. Is this one that I want to share with my agent and that I think, you know, that my agent likes and we want to try to sell it to some publishers or is it one that just isn't, there's not nothing quite special about it. I feel like with a lot of my books, there has to be some element of charm to them. I at, at the moment, I don't do this as a job. I have a day job. And if I never sell another book again, um, I think I'll still be able to support my family and um, well, at least half of my family. My wife also supports my family. And, uh, but, and, and I'll, you know, well, but, you know, maybe I won't be able to take an extra trip to Disney World with the kids if I don't sell another book. But that's, I feel like right now it stays fun. And, and as long as I'm having fun with it, then, then that's cool. But it, it's something that I need to have some sort of charm that comes with the story. I'm not doing this just to do it. It's hard enough to get a book published. You better really right. love and be passionate about what you're writing. And if I finish a story and I'm like, this is pretty good, but it's not going to be as good as any of my published books or like it's, it's, yeah, I could see it getting published, but it wouldn't, you know, it'll probably be like a under a four star average review on, on Goodreads. Like, I can, you know, you kind of get a sense for that. Like it doesn't, it's missing something. It doesn't have that charm. And so I try to make sure that, that um, as I'm writing, I try to find the stories that I think will have charm. Like that, a lot of my, but you also never know, like who knew people would connect with pancakes and French toast. Like it's just a silly story, but, and I, I don't know. It's, it's always, it's, again, am I censoring myself when I say this one's not worth sharing with my agent? Maybe I should let her decide. Maybe she sees something in it that I won't, but Anyway, yeah. Well, and and also when you write it, because some of the some of your books rhyme, some of them don't. Is that a decision based off of kind of like a feel, like I, this seems like it should rhyme, or some of it's like this is a little bit more. Um, the story might not fit to have like a to have it fit like that. How do you make that decision? That's on which a good one's question. I I think. <laughs> I think that the rhyme is often the charm that gets mm -hmm. added. Writing a writing a story is writing a good story is hard enough that has a good plot and a good uh, characters and an emotional connection and you know an, an emotional arc and all of the you know a satisfying conclusion and it's all can be wrapped up in thirty two pages and about five hundred words like that's that's a challenge and then to all of a sudden say well let's also do it in rhyme where the rhythm has to be perfect and all of this. Um, I, I do feel like I'm pretty decent at writing in rhyme and, um, and I, well, I, and I like it and, and that will often add the charm for me. Um, but sometimes, sometimes a story is not, it's not appropriate to be in rhyme. I haven't written too many of those, but sometimes it's just too hard. Like I have my books about coding, how to code a sandcastle and how to code a roller coaster. And, and these books are the, the charm with these books is that they're, they're not nonfiction, they're informational fiction, but they're about a little girl named Pearl and her robot, Pascal, and the two of them use coding concepts 
to build a sandcastle, like sequences and loops and if then else's. And these are the kinds of things that you that you learn in your first week of college coding classes, but also kids learn them in kindergarten. And, um, and so this book did not really need to be in rhyme. And if I tried to put it in rhyme, that would have just been a little bit too much of a challenge and an unnecessary challenge, I think. Right. Um, my, my newest book, uh, until next week is called my pet feet. And this book is about a little girl who wakes up and her pet ferret, has turned into feet. <laughs> and it's because the letter R has disappeared. Now, this book is not in rhyme. Could it have been in rhyme? Possibly, but it already was challenging enough to write a book with only 25 letters. And right. not only is this book written without the letter R, but there are all of these words that when you take the R away, they become something else. Like, for example, she steps out of her house to so her pet ferret uh without right. an r becomes feet um she she quickly sidestepped a bunch of kids on go cats and you can see all these <laughs> purple these are all the words that are missing r's um and uh and she she's um almost bumps into a policewoman on the back of a galloping hose instead of a horse <laughs> and the whole book is filled with these visual gags where if you take an r out become something else she's chased by flying cows instead of crows and uh can't get in the town hall do instead of the town hall door and so on and and so this book was a lot of fun to write and i think the charm is the whole it's it's missing a letter and there's a mystery to it and there's emotion because she wants to save her pet but i think the real charm is is that it's i mean i like to it, it's clever that there's a lot of r's missing and you might as a teacher think wow we could really talk about language we can talk about you know letters and spelling it's not really an alphabet book it's it's it it is an alphabet book but it's not an abc book i guess you would say because it, it does involve the alphabet but you could also um but it's it's really it's just it's fun and it's funny right. and even if even if you don't know the alphabet you know there's flying cows and they can't get in the door because it's a giant poop emoji and silly <laughs> things like that like you don't have to you don't have to know how to spell ferret or even what a ferret is to, right. to really enjoy this book and so so I think for me the charm is 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 has to be there in whatever I write and sometimes it's the rhyme. Sometimes it's something else, but I, I feel like the the rhyme is something that that makes it special that I don't want to say only I can do, but it's something that I have a skill at. And not that anyone can write a story, but um, but I I think that writing a story, I mean, not anyone can write a story. It's hard to write stories that are satisfying. It's not easy. Um, but adding adding the charm the charm of rhyme. Um, sometimes it, i think that is what what i like to do in a lot of cases and it's it's fun it's like solving a puzzle i think people are like how are you an engineer and a writer and i'm like well for writing for me is like engineering all the words to not only have the right sounds especially when it's in rhyme but the rhythm the rhythm is really the key when you're writing in rhyme as a children's book author that works through an agent you were also removed directly from directly working with the illustrator correct yeah the tra traditionally that's the case you don't yeah, usually right. work with an illustrator in advance i have yet to work with one in, in advance although i do have a handful of sequels so there are times where i've worked 
quote unquote with an illustrator already because we've made two, three, four books together. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't submit my books with art. I mean, my pet feet, I, I did not know what the pet feet were going to look like. I, I didn't know if it was going to be a human foot or if it was going to be like a rabbit's foot, but it's just this, this cute little adorable, I mean, it's essentially two feet with a head. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and it's great. It's great. I mean, but that's the thing about with traditional publishing, you know, I practiced really hard at writing picture book texts. That doesn't mean that. I know how to make a book. Right. I don't know how to illustrate a book. I did not practice how to how to draw and how to do any illustrations, but that's something illustrators have worked really hard at. And um, but I also don't know how to design a book. I don't know what looks good as a tiny little icon on Amazon or a face out on a bookshelf, or um, I don't have the distribution capabilities to um, go to every independent bookstore and say, Hey, will you carry my book? That's a lot of work, but that's something that publishers have and they know how to do that. And editors have gone to school to figure out how to design books and edit books and do all of those things. And, and they have experience with that. So generally I, and, and in every case for me, at least right. they've always found an illustrator that is the right person for, for the job. They, they know where to find the illustrators. They know how to do that. And, and, um, and they do it well. But do you, so, but also too, is like in a way your name is also on the book. So is there something where, cause your humor as well, there is kind of a universal piece. It's like kind of a Josh Funk humor in those books. Is there, is the, what type of feedback or, or responsibility do you, that are you allowed to say, Hey, listen, I, there's going to be a visual gag on here that I really wanted to be put in and I envisioned how much of that leeway do you have as the author? So I would say I put illustration notes in my manuscript sometimes, okay. especially if it's a joke, but a lot of times it's like a suggested joke because the truth is illustrators are creative people too. And I don't really want to stifle them by saying right. you have to put this visual, you know, visualize it this way. I want them to think about it from their creative mind and, and look at it however they want to look at it because they might think of something funnier than I'll be able to think of. They probably will, frankly. They'll be able to think of something um, better because that's that's what they do. But I will. I don't hesitate at this point to put in illustration notes if I think like it could be funny. For a book like My Pet Feet, I mean, the whole th there was a, there was an illustration note on every line because it would had to be. I the other thing too is, and it's almost maybe less for the illustrator, but more for getting the editor to understand when you're submitting it to them because they get so many submissions from loads of different people you want them to just to get it and right. if it could be the the perfect story for them but if they don't get it right away they might pass and so i just want to make sure that they they get it and and so for for this book for example it's like you know when it's like she chases her pet feet the main character doesn't have a name it could have been a boy a girl it just it, it they, it's just in first person so it's like Where come back that? she said uh, i chased, chased her pet feet past a fog and toad so i'm you know i put in i think that's pretty obvious but in, in in an illustration note i say instead of a frog and toad um by the old babbling book you know instead of a babbling book and you know like and down a tail and into a gassy field um so i said like not you know gassy slash grassy fields i didn't know i didn't tell billy you should illustrate a bunch of butts farting 
<laughs> but that's what he did. I, you know, what, the difference between a fog and toad and a gassy field is, I don't right. you know, it, 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 it could have been the same illustration. He's the one who added the butts. And I'm glad I didn't tell him how to do it because that's perfect. And that's funnier than I thought of because I didn't think of that. And so I think it's one of those things that you you sort of you have to put some trust in the illustrator, but also mm. you have to put some trust that the editorial team, the art director, they're going to know um, who to pick for the illustrations. And so sometimes they ask me, what do you think about this artist or this artist or this artist? And sometimes I'll give feedback. Sometimes they ask me who I think would be a good fit and they'll say, cool, how about this completely other person? And I'll be like, great. They know what they're doing and and they know what's going to probably make the best book. If if it ever happened that there was a time where the vision was just not aligning, then I would probably say something. It hasn't happened yet, though. It hasn't right. happened. So, and, and so, so now, now I'm now I'm really curious. Just like just you, just remind, but with my pet, my pet feet. Could this be another series, like having other words taken out at any? Because you've set this up also as, no, as another series that you could probably now, do now. So one, it depends on how successful it is because right. the, the books have to sell well enough. So um, <laughs> would I like to do? I would love to do more books in the series. The um, the thing about this is specifically for the formula that I use in this about an R uh, right. disappearing. I sort of lucked into R. Luck slash it was the most likely word to come up and I'll exp uh, or letter to come up and I'll explain why. So I, I made a typo. I wrote the word fiend instead of friend. It was either a typo or an autocorrect. I'm not sure. But that made me think, well, why would a friend turn into a fiend? You know, you took the letter R away. What, a, what, what happened to the rest of the R's? What would happen if the whole world lost all of the R's? And so I started thinking about it this way. And now it turns out that, and I did not pick the letter R because of this, but it turns out that the letters, the letter R is the most commonly used consonant in the English language after, wow. you know, after E, E and A, then R. And that's, that's why you see it on Wheel of Fortune. It's R-S-T-L-N-E. Why do you think R comes first? It's not alphabetical, right? Mm -hmm. So now um, the... <clears throat> The thing is, so that's in the, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, it is the most commonly used consonant. So if, if you were to look at like all of the words in every book ever published, then you'd have words like letters like T and H even because of the word the and things like that would get an un, unfair boost. Um, if you look at all the different types of words, ignoring like um, and all the different tenses, like adding in ing or ed or things like that, or s for plural, all of those letters would get a boost. If you look at just the root words, that's the Oxford Concise English Dictionary. If you look at just the root words, that's when um, that is when you get r as the most commonly used consonant. <laughs> now that made this both easy and hard to write. My pet feet. It made it easy because. There are a lot of words out there that if you take the R away, it becomes another word. And it had to be the same part of speech. And in most cases, it was nouns because it was funnier to visualize something. Um, but it had to be the same part of speech, right? Because every sentence made sense. You know, I passed a fog and toad. I didn't run past a, you know, some verb and toad because that wouldn't make sense. You don't run past anyway. So um, and, and so it had to be the same part of speech and it had to make sense in the sentence. 
but it also made it hard because I had to avoid a lot of words. Um, one, one of the first, uh, when I started drafting this, the first page I wrote or the first lines I wrote before I even had a plot was this whole situation was a massive catastrophe, a huge disaster, a bad thing. And <laughs> that just, that cracked me up. And so, um, looking back, that actually was one of the first things I wrote and, but, and that made me laugh. And in fact, one of the rejections I got, uh, from an editor on this said, we, you know, that we, I, I took it to acquisitions. We really liked it. We just, it just wasn't right for us. Um, and, uh, but we, but you know, that one line really cracked everybody up. And so, um, and that was at Simon and Schuster. And then we sent it to a different editor at Simon and Schuster and they acquired it. So <laughs> Simon and Schuster definitely had a good thing for, uh, I mean, and, but so, R is the best letter to use, basically, is, is what it comes down to. Um, other, I've tried to look at some of the other letters. It's hard. It is hard. It would be hard to reproduce using the same formula. It might have to be a completely different thing, like it was palindromes, or we do something with a number, or something else with words, but it probably won't be that one, like a specific letter disappears. Uh, Simon and Schuster, even if you look at the spine here, you can see that they even covered up the spine. <laughs> Simon and Schuster has an R. Like they were totally on board with it. Um, That's but, awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. But, so I, I also want to talk to you a little bit about Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast because you also have that book coming out, The Great Caper Caper. The concept of world building. Did you? kind of sit back in your chair with your fingers kind of like curling like now let me get into the uh you know the the entomology of, of all these different animals and what kind of personalities every single prepared food versus like you know natural food like i'm really really curious about how you how this world has evolved over that over since 2013 yeah so it it's um there are some there are some rules that probably get broken along the way. Um, you know, when I started writing this, I did not know it was going to be a series. Uh, now, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast is the first book. And in this one, they race through the fridge for the last drop of syrup, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast, and causing culinary chaos along the way. Um, they run by Potato Mash Mountain and Orange Juice Fountain and, uh, and cause a bean avalanche and all of these different things. And, you know, at the time, honestly, a lot of the things that I words and locations that I picked were um, based on the rhythm and the rhyme, you know, sauerkraut peak could have been some other word that, that had the same like sauerkraut, like the same three and three syllables that had the emphasis on the first and, and, and the third. And so like, I, it, but I mean, it had to be something that could be something you would ski down, you know, but it, it didn't have to be sauerkraut. It just, it was like, Oh, that would make a fun visual for what I want to see. Um, when I saw Brendan Kearney's art for the first time, I, I thought, I want to tell more stories in this world. It was so cool and there was so much depth to it. And so that's when I thought, well, what, what other problems could there be in a fridge? So in the first one, it's like, you know, have you ever fought with a sibling over the last slice of pizza, the last cookie? Like that's what's happening. That's a, that's a food problem. The last drop of syrup they're fighting over. Well, so I thought, well, what about... Um, you know, have you ever opened the fridge and smelled something kind of funny? And so that's what happens in the case of the stinky stench. And in this one, I really went wild. Like, not only did I refer to things that happened in the first book, like that that uh, bean avalanche that happens in the first book is now, that's called Mount Everbean. Um, <laughs> like Mount Everest, but Mount Everbean. 
Um, also sounds like catnip Everdeen, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. Uh, or Katniss, sorry. My cat's, name, my cat's name is catnip Everdeen. And uh. that's what, well, one of my cats. And so, um, but yeah, so they end up, you know, going through uh, the, there's, there's Marshmallow Coast and all these places. Honestly, just things that I thought that the rhythm worked for the book. Right. And I thought it was a fun place. Um, I, I think they don't eat anything. Outside, uh, as far as I know, um, and at least, I mean, I guess I wrote it, so I should know. Um, but they, they don't eat each other. There's no, you know, kind of cannibalism going on. So in, in this in this book, they have to help Agent Asparagus um, in Mission Defrostable. They help Agent Asparagus try to go to figure out um, uh, who is causing the fridge to freeze over. Like, has anyone ever uh, opened the fridge and maybe the thermostat was turned down too much? And I one time uh, a hummus I had was like an ice block. There was ice chips in my orange juice, and so I thought, well, that's a, that's another fridge problem. Um, but I, I did think like who would be let's just say the meanest vegetable. And people think like, oh, be one that tastes bad or something. But but I think it actually would be the asparagus um, because um, they're tall and skinny and hang out in cliques and they have big fancy hair. They're basically the sorority girls of vegetables. And so <laughs> nothing against sorority girls. Um, I, well, I guess I do have something against sorority girls. But anyway, I thought that would be like the... But they they would be the sorority girl of of the vegetables, right? Yeah. And so that was kind of my feeling about asparagus. So I do think sometimes about like, well, what would make a good that? What would make a good villain? What would make a good scientist or something like that? And sometimes it has to do with with the rhythm, but it also has to do with like. So in in short and sweet, you know the the fridge problem. This is book number four. In this book, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast. Um, they start to go stale. And so it's like, has anyone ever opened the fridge and you're excited to eat something? You took it out. It was all moldy and spoiled and gross. Well, that's what happens in short and sweet. They, they start to go stale. They visit professor Biscotti. And I thought Biscotti is kind of like a nerdy sounding name. At one part of the point, it was going to be professor Garbanzo, but that was a little bit too small of a thing to illustrate. Like a a single bean might be a little bit much like, so uh, unfortunately, Professor Biscotti, she has a despoiling ray. Her despoiling ray works a little bit too well. And so they um, they end up shrinking into tiny little kids. So, so she's got a little, little teddy bear and he's got a blankie. And um, and so that's that's what happens in um, in the fourth one. And then so the newest one, which comes out <clears throat> this year, is uh, uh, is called The Great Caper Caper. Now, okay. I'm trying to think of what other foods problems could there be? And um one other thing i'll say i i i I do with this series is each one of these books is a different genre so the first one is a race Mm -hmm. uh for the last drop of syrup this the second one is a mystery um the case of the stinky stench that's a mystery and the third one's an action adventure spy thriller mission defrost well it's actually more like indiana jones and the last crusade but um but the title mission defrostable is better and um and then short and sweet is sort of like a sci-fi comedy mixed with a magical body swap. A little bit of, uh, you think of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or The Nutty Professor mixed with Big or Freaky Friday because like they shrink. Yeah. And so it's kind of a combination of those. So I always try to think, well, what other genre can I do and with, the, with this series? And so other ideas I had were... Um, you know, a treasure hunt or a musical, which would be hard to do in a book that it's already in rhyme, but 
whatever. Um, and uh, and like other genres of movies and things that I like. And so uh, Alien Invasion or I thought of a heist. I really like heists. And so I thought, well, what when 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 there's a heist, you know, what what would it be called? And I, I, I thought of the great caper caper. Actually, my wife thought of the great caper caper. And I was like, of course, that's that's the perfect name for a heist. And so in this one, but you, you have to, when, when there's, when there's a heist, the main characters have to have an altruistic reason for stealing something in a heist. And right. so it had to be something that was not, you know, that, that you could support as a reader. So I thought, well, what if the caper, this, this evil caper, stole <laughs> the light bulb? So have you ever opened the fridge and the light bulb was out? It probably happens more rarely, but it does happen. Um, but so this evil caper stole the light bulb, and so they have to steal it back. And so okay. that is the great caper game. So they end up, it's um, it's basically Ocean's Eleven in the fridge. But <laughs> they, they have to go to uh, to Las Veggies. They go they have to go to Las Veggies and and break into the evil Count Caper's hotel and steal the light bulb back. And they get their all their friends back together from the previous books. Uh, in this one, and each one has to have a reason for being there. It's not just like there's 10 of them for a reason. It's like, well, this one is there to distract. This one's there to pickpocket. Uh, even the tofu is, they, they, they make a 3D tofu printed copy of, of the key uh, to get into the vault. Um, but like a 3D printed copy out of tofu. That's why tofu mm -hmm. is one of the, the characters. And so, you know, you need your getaway drivers or you're distracted. Anyway, so all the different foods are in there for, for a reason, but kind of like bring the gang back together. It has, not only does it have the, the great Muppet caper vibe, because that's, that's a, you know, Muppets, but it, it has that, the first Muppet movie where it's like you're bringing everyone back together, which I think was basically just Blues Brothers. But um, yeah. yeah, so it's, um, so that is, that's the great caper caper. And, uh, no, I'm really excited about it. It was just named as a as an independent bookstore as an indie next indie kids next list selection, and so which is a big deal because they they only pick uh, ten picture books every two months that independent bookstores all put in a little um, right. votes for, and so yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm excited about it, and it comes out very very soon. I just got my authored copies yesterday, actually. So. Nice. No, I, I'm curious. So, because you people, you, you've been reading, you've been having Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast out, as we say, since 2015, so the past seven years. Is there any idea? Because they seem to get getting more and more expansive, and the world seems to be getting larger and larger. Has there ever been a thought of you to say, "Listen, I want to recognize the kids who read that seven years ago. They're now like." teenagers is there not like i need to make a larger kind of like graphic novel of like so they can really sit down and read this i you know it's interesting i don't know how i would i i i've thought about it um i i think maybe early readers like a like a leveled reader which actually you would probably read in like you know learning to read on your own i've i've toyed around with the graphic novels i just don't know there's the 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 pic the picture book world building is right. is vague and mm -hmm. i think it's okay that it's vague but if you really go into a graphic novel you got to make some some rules like what right. do they eat i mean maybe you don't but i i i'm a little scared to do that i'm a little right. scared to do that so i'm not i'm not sure like how do they get how do they procreate how do i just like <laughs> things i'm not sure i want to go there 
And like so, the politics um, and society of what's yeah. happening and like, yeah. Like, why are these guys in charge anyway? Like, why do they seem to solve all the problems? Who voted them there? It's like they right. have these royalty names. Why? Who made them royal? I don't know. It's just sort of, yeah. Too many questions if I really think about it too much. Um, so I, I think with picture books, you can kind of just like leave it, leave it alone. Um, right. and, and with, with the early readers, maybe you can like focus in on a character and like do something fun with the character but with like a real plot and a real story. The rules of the fridge break, I, I think. Right. Right. I was just curious about that. Cause you have such a great IP with this. I mean, just even there, be, it leaves it open to have so much potential, like even thinking about, the difference between the culture in the refrigerator versus the pantry, like, you know, like dried goods as compared to like, refrigerator. yeah. And like, but also why are there croissants in the fridge? Like that's another problem. <laughs> but so yeah. I, and like, are there people And I say, no, I say there aren't people, but um, you know, the, what happens, well, you have to see in book six, which I have not announced the title yet, but I've, I've already written it. It's um the fridge problem is, have you ever left something in the fridge that didn't belong there? Which ah, okay. does sort of break that there is an outside of the fridge kind of thing. But it's also, an, the I'll tell you the genre, it's an alien invasion. So, okay. you know, are they really coming from outside of the fridge? Is there like a space in this world? Anyway, so yeah, alien invasion. And have you ever left something in the fridge that didn't belong there? Like that time I lost my wallet and couldn't find it for the weekend. Talk to us a little bit also about your latest It's Not a Fairy Tale story. Yeah. So the these the it the fairy tale series is is it's it's so fun to write these books. Um the the first one uh is it's it's not Jack and the Beanstalk and um and then it it's not Hansel and Gretel and and Edwardian Taylor is the illustrator he does an amazing job but in these books the characters they're meta fractured fairy tales so you mm -hmm. you probably read fractured fairy tales these ones are meta in a sense that the characters talk back to the narrator they they don't want to do what the storyteller is telling them to do so jack is like i don't want to climb that beanstalk i don't want to sell my pal for five beans that sounds like a terrible deal so no, they poke fun. Like, if you lived in the woods your whole life, don't you think you would know that if you dropped breadcrumbs on the ground, animals would eat them? I mean, plus it's a famine. I mean, why are you dropping breadcrumbs on the ground during a famine? Like, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so, so all of these things, like, like I point out the absurd things about characters and fairy tales. I always thought, you know, characters in fairy tales are kind of dumb. Uh, <laughs> they do a lot of dumb things. But what if they were smart and they didn't want to listen to the storyteller? And then I started, as I was writing this, I, I like to poke out the fun and absurd things that happen in these fairy tales that like, wh why are they stories that we've told to children um, all these years? Like, why are we sending a little girl in the woods by herself holding food, like on a half hour walk? Like, right. you know, shouldn't someone go with her? At least like, but whatever. Um, but so then I started thinking, well, in addition to poking fun at the at the story themselves and having the characters not want to do that, let me throw in some more twists. So in this one, um, the wolf is also sick. And so Captain Hook fills in for the wolf. So halfway through the book, when the wolf's supposed to show up, Captain Hook shows up and is like, well, you know, the wolf was sick. He asked me to fill in. I'm doing the wolf a favor. And so, but then he, then Captain Hook's like, wait, what? I have to eat this little girl? Like, what's going on? And, um, then she goes and, I, I, so they're so fun to write. 
And um, and then so in the newest one, uh, it's not the three little pigs. Well, first of all, this story here, like, what is the deal with the three little pigs? Why? Why? <laughs> it's kind of a boring story. Like, it's about pigs building houses. Why? Why did anyone ever think this would be interesting? And and it's really just about like they're being. I guess they're too lazy or they're not using the right materials. Like, have you ever tried to build a house out of straw? That sounds like a pretty big challenge. Like that does not sound easy at all. So if somebody were actually successfully build a house out of straw, that's probably harder than building a house out of bricks. Whatever. That's not the point. And this one, I thought, in addition to pointing out all the silly things about the story, what if, what if um, the first of all, well, not first of all, seventh of all, pigs are not most most pig litters are like an average of like seven and a half, according to Google. Um, so the, the, the odds that you have a litter of only three pigs is very, very slim. So, so there's probably going to be more than, more than three pigs. So I added a fourth pig just to make it a little more realistic. And now each of these pigs, each of these pigs has their own personalities and, you know, they're being sent off into the world. And, And the fourth pig, she wants to be a storyteller. So she is sort of a competing narrator with okay. storytelling. Okay. So in this one, she she doesn't want to do what the you know she she'll point out all the silly things about the story, but she'll also she also tries to take over the story and make it a little more interesting and more exciting. <laughs> the book. Because after all, as she points out, like I said, it's a story about pigs building houses. What is exciting Great. about that? Let, let's add some flair. And so that's what Allison, the fourth pig, tries to do. And so um so yeah, with the, with these stories, I'm always trying to poke fun at the the actual story but also you know put some twists on it to um hopefully entertain you know with a lot of my books i'm i'm trying to entertain the children obviously they're books for kids but my picture books are meant to be read by an adult to a child they're at a fifth grade reading level give or take i use big words on purpose because i think if a kid hears big words they'll learn them and mm. you know if they don't know what it means, they can ask the adult reading to them. Or if they don't know what it means, maybe it'll just show them in a picture what they're doing. Oh, rappel means to climb down because you see Lady Pancake rappelling down a rope of spaghetti. Okay, cool. So that means rappel means climb down. I learned a word. Um, so you can learn big words now. But also, I think it's important that the adults are also having fun reading these books because an enthusiastic adult reader is going to make the book so much more enjoyable for the kid. And, you know, if you're reading a book that you're not enjoying as, as a parent, you're not going to, you know, you might not, it's not going to be as good of an experience for the child because that'll show. So I try to make it as easy as possible for the adults to have a good time by making it entertaining for the adults. And then the kids are going to enjoy the books that much more. And so that's sort of my goal, kind of like a Pixar movie, you know, there's, you can, you can get the jokes on different levels and you'd be surprised. Kids will get some of those jokes. I have a, in, in the second Lady Pancake book, there's there's um, well two of my favorite jokes. Number one is when Inspector Croissant trips by mistake. It's a steak who's a lady, Miss. <laughs> so that's one of my favorites. But then later on, there's there's a literal red herring, and in a mystery, a red herring means a bad clue. Right. But but in this in this case, the red herring. Uh, the red herring was supposed to be like, oh, the, uh, you know, somebody said the red herring, that's the stinky stench. But so it's it's both a literal and a figurative red herring. And I even have a line in here. It says, it seemed the red herring was just a bad clue. <laughs> the definition of a, of a red herring. It's a red herring. And, 
Yeah, but then I'll then I'll 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 go and visit a second grade or third grade, and they'll be like, "We studied mysteries. We know what a red herring is." And the kids will get those things, you know. The, right. Even even if you make it so that it's like for the adults or not, but kids will kids will get them. So, right. Yeah. yeah. This is great. So very excited. So as of this as of this recording, as we as we mentioned, that you do have all those books will be coming out. Um, yeah, all within on, two and a half three weeks. So. Right. So, uh, by the time, so by the time people are listening to this, they'll probably be available. In fact, I've I've been told by some of my bookstore friends that um, the Great Caper Caper is already in stores. So if you buy books from an independent bookstore, sometimes you can get books early, um, mm. even before they come out. Uh, so yeah, I've, I, even though it's not November fifteenth yet, um, the Great Caper Caper is in some bookstores. Good. No, 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 Josh. If people want to learn more about you or, or, or follow you on social media, what would be the best place they could go to? I am Josh Funk Books everywhere. I'm joshfunkbooks.com. I am Josh at Josh Funk Books on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. I've been advised by my kids not to get on TikTok. So for now, I'm not there. Um, but yeah, Josh Funk Books is, is where I am. And uh, yeah, that's you can you can find me um and i have a newsletter and all the things so all right thank you all right my pleasure have a good one thanks for having me